Welcome to the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast, a show dedicated to modern learning and development with your hosts, Daniel Mendonca and Scott Babcock. It's podcast day. Welcome to the show. This is If You Build It, Will They Learn. I'm Scott Babcock and with me is your co-host, Daniel Mendonca. Daniel, how are you today? Doing pretty well, uh, Scott. Glad to uh, be here for another podcast. Excited about week 14. Yeah, today's show, we have an interview. Uh, we are going to be talking with Nyla Spooner about instructional design and some tips and tricks on ways to implement it, ways to get into the industry and some of the work she's doing. Uh, really excited to have her on the show today. Excellent. Just a quick bio uh, about Nyla uh, to get us started here. Uh, Nyla Spooner, she's a learning experience designer who creates adult learning experiences for the digital space. She also enjoys mentoring new instructional designers and e-learning developers and does so through her 100 IDs program. In addition to equitable mentorship, she is the co-founder of Design by Humanity, a nonprofit design collective pairing experienced creatives with fresh faces to collaborate on real-world projects advocating for equity, diversity, inclusion, and anti-racism. When, when she's not building courses and other experience, she also creates content around learning and development, including a podcast called uh, The New Here Podcast for new instructional designers uh, and YouTube videos. All right. We are super excited to welcome Nyla Spooner to the podcast today to give us some insight on instructional design. Uh, we want to get some of her insights and experience uh, and kick some ideas around just on how to better produce content using instructional design methodologies, as well as just maybe even how you get started in the field of instructional design and some of the work she's doing. So welcome to the podcast, Nyla. We're super excited you're here. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be on and talk about one of my great passions, instructional <laughs> design. Excellent. Well, we are uh, obviously always excited to talk anything learning here on the podcast. So let's dive right in. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and kind of maybe how you got started in instructional design? Sure. So I actually have a background in like PR and social media because I was going to work at a magazine when I was 18 years old. That was my dream. And then I got into it and I actually started doing PR in finance and realized that wasn't the dream. So um, I had my youthful wandering time and ended up working in HR at a local grocery store here called HEB. And doing that, it was a store-based HR job. I realized maybe this is the path. So I looked for master's programs and thought, okay, I'll do HR or maybe I'll even do change management and OD. And I had to sign up for a couple other classes and one of them was instructional design. And I had no idea what it was. I didn't know if I'd even like it. And it was one of the most challenging classes I'd ever taken. I had a really great professor and I just really fell in love with adult learning, instructional design and e-learning development and all the things I was learning in the course of, of doing these things. So that's how I ended up doing that. So I've worked in all different industries. I've worked in uh, I've freelanced. I've worked in oil and gas. Um, I've worked in retail. So a lot of exposure to different types of audiences and different skills. And that's really why I enjoy what I do. I love hearing people's stories of how they get into kind of the learning space because I don't feel like most of us start 
on that defined path, we sort of, mm-hmm. I call it stumble into it. And I, yeah. I'm always curious to hear how people get there because I think it's, it's always really intriguing that very few start there, but they all find their passion once they arrive there. So that's awesome. Yeah. It's like not many people tell you as a kid, Hey, you could be an instructional designer when you grow up. So, you know, <laughs> you don't think you, it takes going places and someone telling you about it to discover it. I love it. Uh, so with instructional design, I think maybe you, you hit the nail on the head that it's not maybe a common term for a lot of folks that are maybe just out in the public. Could you maybe kind of give us your definition on what you think instructional design is, maybe how you sort of see it as different from uh, just general content creation? Um, what, what what specifically calls it, it makes it instructional design versus just writing or script writing or something like that? Yeah, I definitely know there's lots of definitions out there. I think it's as simple as it's a systematic approach to the design and development of, of course instruction and uh, or, or a learning experience. And so you're employing certain theories and models to make sure that knowledge transfer is effective. And I, I do think a lot of people dabble in instructional design without even realizing Um, But it's really using those models and those theories to bolster what you do is what makes it instructional design. Yeah, I think that's a a good distinction is that probably many people are are practicing it, at least in theory, without maybe knowing those are the words, Mm -hmm. right? It's, It's common to a lot of our content development processes, whether it's your ADI models or kind of your, your cyclical reviews, applying those theories to get your objectives across. So um, yeah, probably most of us are, have experienced it over our careers without maybe calling it that specifically, but um, there are definitely practices in place for that. So yeah, and I definitely think a component of it is really understanding how people learn as well. And so maybe that's the disconnect before you get into instructional design is that you may be creating course curriculum and and different learning experiences without understanding how people learn and um, instructional design can help you do that. Nyla, one of the things that we talk about a lot with our clients is how to keep content sort of fresh and incentivized because a lot of our clients aren't speaking to an audience that they maybe have direct controls, I guess, and controls maybe a bit uh, aggressive in terms of a term, but they don't work for that company. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're often uh, people that are partnerships or members of the industry or something like that. And they're trying to get folks to take their content. Mm -hmm. Um, When we think about those methodologies, sometimes I think they can become a bit strict maybe mm-hmm. in their practices sometimes. And that leads to uh, really solid learning transfer to your point, but sometimes maybe not as colorful or marketing based. I, I like the idea that uh, you have that PR background. So maybe you can give us some insight there, but how do you think instructional design differs from traditional, maybe creative writing when we look at some of those elements? Yeah. So this is a, a big discussion in the learning world too, right now is the power of storytelling and why that really makes a learning experience different. And so I think combining what you, what we know about how people learn with that need for people to know what's in it for me and also to feel something is the soft spot between creative writing and, or sorry, the sweet spot between creative writing and instructional design. It, yeah, it can be kind of dry, but um, once you weave in that the storytelling part of it, you create an emotional connection for your learner that people can really hold on to and connect them to the learning experience. I think that's what really attracted me to this space. You mm-hmm. kind of that connection. I I talk about how I dabble in two places in my life. I'm a coach of athletes, but coaching, learning, development, very similar. And then also I, I have a marketing background, which the, so the storytelling 
function of it really attracted me to the L&D space. And I think that that's a, a very interesting narrative to take because I think when it comes down to when people think about mm-hmm. training, um, they, their mind typically goes right to HR compliance. Uh, oh God, how long am I going to have to sit here and take this for? And that's, that's a really nice distinction here because I know that traditional sense can be a bit, uh, mm-hmm. a bit dry for some. Um, and I love to hear the creative side of it. I was gonna say I really like that uh, you you're also thinking about the way a learner's intaking that too, right? It's not just the delivery and getting your message across and hitting on your objectives and trying to find ways to do the learning transfer, maybe for more of a systematic approach, but also just how is a learner going to accept that? And sometimes that storytelling approach kind of opens their their mind a little bit to receive it a little bit better. And I, I think that's a, a distinction that doesn't always get applied in a really great way, but I love that that's, that's part of that kind of concept for you. Yeah, I've seen that like the instructors that sell courses online do this really well. People who have a specialty that they want to share and monetize. So like Udemy.com, people on Udemy.com, the people who are successful there tell a really great story about why their potential learner should take this course on Photoshop or um, even instructional design or learning experience design. They have a good enough story or a good uh, a strong enough pull for the learner to know, okay, this is what's in it for me and this is why I should pay to take this course. And so that's kind of also incentive-based, I think. So I, I like to look to see what people are doing in that respect too. And a lot of times they're not formal instructional designers. They're just people who have an expertise and they put together a course they want to sell. So you can get inspiration from lots of places. On that on that note, would you, would you agree or um, a good instructional designer can pretty much incentivize content based upon what they put out onto, you know, into the, into the project, the e-learning or the course that they're taking? Yeah. And I think it starts, so it it gets tricky, like when you're working for an organization where you have certain goals you're trying to meet, you're trying to close a performance gap or something like that, but you're also trying to make sure that you're creating learner-centered content. So you have to find a balance. But if you're customer obsessed, as Amazon likes to say, and other organizations, it can really help you connect with the learner on that level and help you start to reframe kind of the formal approach to learning that's more accessible. So for instance, I know a lot of people know when you write a learning objective, there's a formula. People use Bloom's taxonomy, those kind of action verbs. Um, But I really tend to find ways to reframe learning objectives for the learner. So like I know what the objectives are for the course, but maybe I'm going to weave that in a way where I'm just asking you a question that I want you to take throughout the course. And then at the end, I'll ask you the question again to make sure you answered it. So different ways that you can connect with your learner that way that aren't, they're not so formulaic. I think that's really important. I think there's huge value in in varying the approach and and keeping it new and fresh for a learner, it keeps it from getting stagnant. And so I, I like that concept of finding different ways to weave the narrative into the content. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that really helps make it land over time. And and again, keeps folks from getting to a place where they start getting bored with the training. That's that's the last thing. If you get too formulaic in your approach, I think you do you will lose some folks over time. So I like that approach as well. Yeah. And um, storytelling, I think, is really becoming um, a skill that people want to get better at in in ID in the learning and development world. So I know a few books have just been released about that. 
Anna, oh, I forget her, how to say her name, Sobramowitz. Um, she does a, a really good storytelling learning experience uh, where she coaches people on how to tell stories better. And also, I've even taken a, like, a script writing cr- class on Udemy. Again, I'm not trying to plug them. I don't work for them or anything. <laughs> not not but, sponsored, but that's all right. Not sponsored, <laughs> but um, just accessible learning. So I've taken a script writing class just to understand story structure as well. You spend 10 bucks and get to learn from a top script writer in Hollywood. So just little things like that can make you a better instructional designer all around. I really like that we're uh, we're talking about Udemy uh, as as a platform, but and, and knowing there's a number of them out there, and that's it's maybe a good transition to our next kind of question or topic that I, I was hoping we could talk about is how does someone typically get started? We talked about your journey uh, uh, to get to ID, and and maybe it didn't start down a traditional path. And I know in a past episode we've talked about mine and Daniel's are both sort of not directed in that way specifically either. We both kind of stumbled into the field. But if you were someone who was interested in instructional design and kind of starting out, whether you're maybe more of a seasoned professional or or right out of uh, college or university, what tips or tricks would you have for ways to get uh, information on how to get into the field? My first tip is to listen to my podcast for new instructional designers. Love it. (laughs) I love the plug. (laughs) It's called I'm New Here, and I really take the most basic elements of instructional design and put them into a micro episode. So all my episodes are less than 20 minutes, and I just break down the most basic parts about how to break into the industry. What's really great is because we're learning professionals, there's just so much content out there that people just develop just to help and just for fun. And so it's it's as simple as a Google search. How do I get started? Um, Like Devlin Peck has a really great comprehensive guide on his website about how to get started in instructional design. The biggest thing is deciding how to invest in your foundational education, I think. So there are boot camps now Um, that wasn't really around that much when I was looking for a program, but these boot camps or accelerators will put you through like an eight or nine week program and it gets you ready with the basics so you can get a corporate job or work freelance. And then there's a more formal, traditionally academic route that you could take as well that's just a little more expensive (laughs) (laughs) and there's more of a time investment, but just depends on what you're trying to do. And um, I think that's a great place to start, decide what kind of program is going to give you your foundational knowledge. One of the things that's coming out of uh, sort of the pandemic, and I think it was always there to a degree, but um, you've kind of referenced the group share that is in the world. And I think that is a great place for folks to get information. There is a community on the internet, excuse me, for just about anything you want to do, whether it's learn Excel or become an instructional designer or learn to make pancakes, right? There's someone out there who's happy to teach you uh, what they know and share that information. And I think it's becoming more and more accessible where it isn't behind paywalls even uh, more often than not. Of course, there are options for that as well. But I think, I think it's really cool to watch people sharing their knowledge with each other trying to help everybody get a little better. And I think as we're all stuck inside more often now, we find it a little bit more readily just because we're looking for it. Yeah. And I think a lot of people sometimes, um, they just, they even may already have the skills, but they, and the knowledge, they just don't know what to do next. So they need a little extra help. So those crowd sourced groups and information come in handy for that. 
One of the things that I, I find interesting, which some people forget about in, in 2020 or is that you can just start. Like mm-hmm. if, if, if you want to go into instructional design um, now, especially with some of the rapid authoring tools, mm-hmm. um, you could, you could potentially have a license to a rapid authoring tool and, and you could find a piece of content or a content that you're really passionate about. It could be fantasy football. It could be oil and gas. It could be retail. And you could just create learnings about them and just put them out there. Yeah. Um, you see it happen with, with music artists. You see it happen with artists who are, you're just doing now and creating a great way to get started these days. I find is to just, just do it and see, see what people think of it and put it out there. Uh, I think, uh, you're in the same boat as us. That's where, you know, we're with our podcast. We just decided, Hey, Let's just put it out there and see what people think and, and start working on it. And it's evolving over time. But that's that's one way how you get better at it. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, it's a big just a lot of people seem frozen like, oh, I'm not going to get this right right off the bat. And it's like, yeah, that's learning. You're going to put out your first course is going to be not great. <laughs> You're going to look at it even maybe a week later and think, why did I do that? So, but that's fine. Like you have to start somewhere and I think that's a great point that take something that you already passionate about and teach it to somebody. I mean, people are doing it every day online without being formal instructional designers. So uh, that's why when I hear people say they don't know what to put in their portfolio, I'm like, no, you know what to put in your portfolio. You're just something is keeping you from doing that. And it's probably fear of failure. So. Maybe it's just a learned behavior over time. We don't want to put out the unpolished product. And mm-hmm. sometimes it is the experience is really where you're going to gain that growth and become better at what you're doing is by getting it critiqued a little bit. And and sometimes those are not easy to swallow, but they are what ultimately makes you stronger and more knowledgeable and better at the next run. And slowly over time, it does become more, more and more polished and you grow that way. Mm-hmm. I do also love that right now, I, I think this... Uh, approach that is growing in in nature is the gig economy, the idea of freelancing and consulting. I don't think you have to get the corporate job to start your process. I think that is another maybe bygone era approach that I think a lot of folks think is you have to get into the industry to start in the industry. And I don't think that's the case anymore now to both of your points that you can just kick off and, and put something out into the world and start to get recognized and then kind of do some marketing of yourself and and you can start working even before you have that corporate gig and, and finding ways to get going. So that, mm-hmm. I think, is different now, too, maybe in the last five or 10 years, too. Yeah, I know when I first got out of my program, I did a couple freelance jobs. And I, this was before I realized there was a community of people who would like help me out if I had questions. So I was very much isolated and working on a very big project. And I was a little bit out of my depth and uh felt really isolated and so i i was afraid to do freelance after that um and so i really kind of thrived in a corporate space but i think if there had been communities or if i had known about them they were there already i just didn't know where i could go and ask questions and get support i think i could have really thrived as a freelancer earlier in my career so that's why I tell people to be like, get involved on LinkedIn, see what these different groups are doing, uh, go to meetups well, before, you know, we couldn't leave our house, go to meetups, <laughs> um, go to conferences, develop your own, you know, network so that if you do decide to work on something on your own, or if you're the only ID in your company, you don't feel that isolation. You know, you can really hear what people have to say, get that feedback you need, no matter where you are. I think that that's one of the things you brought up about building your network that that always interests me is 
people are afraid to ask and ask for help or they think they're bothering someone, pretty much everyone is is pretty, especially in our industry, I find everyone is so willing to provide guidance, hop on a phone call, you know, give you a couple points of advice, hear out your perspective. The worst thing that could happen is they say no. And there's, you know, thousands of other people you could ask as well. So I think that's just putting that fear of failure or putting yourself out there and just uh, putting it behind you. There's so many fears that I don't, I don't even blame people for having. It's just like we're socialized to have some of these trepidations. But I think once we get past that, like you said, and you put yourself out there a little, it's really amazing to see how a, a community will support you. All right. And with that uh, kind of the notion of uh, networking and sharing and everything else, I know you have a mentorship uh, initiative right now that you've kind of set a goal for yourself, which I think is is really awesome. Uh, do you want to share a little bit more about what you've got going and then maybe a little bit more about your podcast and where folks can get that as well? So um, we're giving you a little plug. Yeah, sure. So because people helped me so much, uh, helped me become a better ID, I really wanted to pay that forward. So in August of last year, I set a goal to mentor 100 women of color uh, entering the L&D space over the next five years. And so I spent the last year uh, from August to now kind of just doing research. I had a lot of conversations with people to see what kind of mentorship they needed, what worked best, trying to figure out what people have done before and how I could approach it on a scale, in a scalable way. So I have started a cohort of 20 to 25 women and we meet twice a month and we set some goals and create systems to change our habits so that we can really close those career or skill gaps that we have that are keeping us from maybe reaching that next level in our ID career or even breaking into it. Um, and so I call that my 100 IDs initiative. And I'm really passionate about that, about building that out and just, like you said, sharing knowledge. It's not a formal ID program. I'm not teaching you theory. I just have learned that sometimes people have questions about the career part of ID, and I just try to answer some of those when for people who are just entering the industry. And that's also like where my podcast came from, and you can find all info about this on my website, NylaLXD.com, including my podcast. Yeah, I'm just trying to share that information and getting get it out to as many people as possible. I love the positivity and, and the outreach to the to just a community and and making all of us a little stronger. I think is a great idea for all of us to take home and uh, try to reach out and help some other folks get along. Because I know Daniel and I, and and obviously talking to you, Nyla, I see it, I hear it as well. There's a huge passion around this. None of us do this because it's just paying the bills. I think we all really enjoy what we do and we're we're energized by the work. And I think it's it's great to get other folks kind of going in that same path and, and help them along. Uh, and again, it is a community thing where we as an industry tend to help each other out. And I, I, I applaud you for the work of trying to help others get stronger. And uh, hopefully that's a model that we can all aspire to to do more of as well. Yeah, I think you guys are already doing it with this podcast. You know, we I, something about us learning professionals. We're like, we gotta, <laughs> we love to try to teach others <laughs> at every, at, at every chance. And I think podcasts like this are really great learning opportunities. I, I really love the podcast format for knowledge sharing. I think it's fantastic. 
Well, I want to say thank you for your time today, Nyla, and all of your information. Uh, it was really great to talk with you and share some of these insights, and hopefully that provided our audience with some, uh, some tips and tricks and some insights on where to get started and how to pursue their, their career and, and hopefully find their own passion in learning and development. So thank you again for the time. I really appreciate it. I know Daniel does as well. Thanks, Nyla. I appreciate having you. Thanks for having me. I really, I can't wait to hear my own episode. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And check out Nyla's podcast as well. Um, again, uh, NylaLXD.com will give you all the information you need for both uh, the mentorship program and her podcast as well. And have a listen. That was a really great conversation. I learned a ton and I think uh, our audience hopefully will get a ton of great value out of that. Uh, one of the things that I really enjoyed from it was this notion, and we've talked about it with how to start a podcast as well, and I, I don't think it changes what you're doing. A lot of the journey is just taking that first step and getting started and and diving right in. I think with anything we're doing, you're probably not going to ace it on the first attempt. That's what practice is all about, is, is getting stronger, getting better. And I think for a lot of folks that maybe are are thinking about this as an industry uh, or thinking about this as a career, I love all the avenues that are out there right now in the world, on the internet, at your fingertips, where you can at least take those first steps to getting into the into the space and finding your passion around it and, and getting creative. And then slowly over time, uh, you'll start to refine and you'll get some some critiques and some, some guidance to help you along. Um, take that, get stronger, but just know it's a learning journey just like anything else. And then whether it's instructional design or you want to learn how to kick field goals in the NFL, it all starts somewhere. Uh, and you have to kind of take that first jump. I say just dive right in. I love that message from this podcast. The thing that really stuck out to me, and I think it's because it, it kind of goes back to my background as well, but we talked about the difference between what could be traditional, stereotypical instructional design and um, creative writing. Uh, she talked about storytelling. Um, and how through a piece of content, you can take your objectives and you can sprinkle that in throughout the content um, and really tell a story for the learner. And I think that that spoke to me just because of my marketing background, but I think it really can take away from that notion that instructional design is all about rigid uh, compliance-based uh, learning. It can actually be quite engaging and create an experience for the learner. It's a big thing that I know we, we deal with uh, day in and day out in our roles, of traditional instructional design versus some some more creating or marketing speak type type trainings, but I think her her comments around that really, I think probably helped a lot of people understand that modern instructional design it isn't rigid; it's very fluid, um, and it's intended to tell a story um, over a period of time. We talk about this quite a bit. I think it speaks to that is that variation in delivery and and not being super formulaic. I think too often with instructional design, that is where folks end up. So I, I liked that message as well. Come on, get happy. All right, we end every show trying to give you a little positivity, something we're seeing in the world that gives us some energy. Uh, for me, we're coming off of the 4th of July. Uh, we've talked about I live in Nashville, and this is the first time where we've actually stayed in Tennessee for the 4th. Uh, usually we head back north and visit our families uh, and spend time on the lake, but this time just it, it didn't quite work out. So we stayed in Tennessee. We had a couple of folks over to the house. We barbecued, we played some yard games, um, and it's very evident that folks knew that there weren't going to be quite as many organized uh, fireworks celebrations. So many of them hit up the fireworks stands uh, all around all the neighborhoods around us. And then off of our back deck, we can see for quite a ways. And the horizon was just 
lit up with fireworks all night long. It went on for quite a few hours and it was just, it was a lot of fun to just kind of relax and, and enjoy time with a few folks, enjoy food and company uh, in a way that we don't always get to do. But for me, the fourth was, uh, was just a lot of fun this year and it's nice to come off of that. Awesome. Mine's a similar concept, but uh, slightly different. I am uh, a big family guy. So I uh, love seeing my family and obviously this whole situation hasn't allowed for a lot of that. But uh, my brother, who lives in Michigan, obviously across a closed border, uh, is a dual citizen, was able to come across and visit uh, last week. Um, now that they've lightened family-oriented restrictions a little bit. Um, so it was great to see him. Uh, he stayed here, and, and that was fantastic. My other point, very similar, was uh, this weekend was my birthday. So a little bit of a selfish positivity point. But uh, similar to you, on a Sunday, I was able to sit back, relax, put my feet up a little bit. Um, and spend time with my family and friends for those that were I was able to see, obviously, uh, adhering to all the uh, lockdown and social distancing guidelines um, in my gathering size of 10. It was, it was nice to see the family and just relax a little bit uh, to celebrate um, a very non-eventful 31st birthday. 31 really isn't special at all. So <laughs> it's just another day. <laughs> There's no big milestones at 31, and no. I, I think the message for today is just uh, finding those moments of normalcy, um, even if they are still a little abnormal uh, in many ways, but trying to find those little moments that kind of uh, give us a reflection point and a little relaxation and, and some family time. So that will do it for us today. Thanks again for listening. I'm Scott Babcock. He's Daniel Mendonca, and we will talk to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you for listening to another episode of the If You Build It, Will They Learn podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you get your podcasts. Join the conversation by emailing us at podcast at haylight.com. Find us on social media at Build It, Learn It, and be sure to check us out on the web at www.haylight.com. That's H-A-L-I-G-H-T dot com.